0: cord audio for any purpose chances are you want it to be heard you want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message that's where we come in we're cyberears.com a revolutionary internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio. On your terms.
1: Peritopia. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another exciting edition of Paratopia. Paratopia. Wait, do I have to say that twice? Yes. I I think I do, you, well,
2: I? we can do it in stereo. It's okay.
1: <laughs> uh, in any event, you know, uh, I think as most of you know, if not all of you, the UFO Magazine article with one Emma Woods written by yours truly, um, is on stands now. It is the cover story. And in an odd synchronicity, maybe, or just a gift from the gods, perhaps, or something, I don't know what, uh, Emma was going through her tapes, and she found yet another piece of interesting audio that she didn't remember at all, uh, which we're going to play for you in a moment. Um, and Jeff, I- I'm thinking we don't even need to set it up, really, other than to say um, that it was for, sent
2: to a slew of people.
1: <laughs> it was sent to a slew of people. Well, if if you still think that his work is valid after this tape, if the panties thing didn't set off an alarm bell or two, I, I think uh, this one will have to do the trick for any stalwarts to at least reassess uh, the value of of his work where the abduction phenomenon is concerned. How's that for politically correct?
2: That's pretty PC.
1: All right. So without further ado, here is that piece of tape.
0: You know, years ago, maybe I told you this, I had this idea of buying a person I was working with a, a chastity belt. Yeah. Maybe this would be the time to get one. <laughs> They can't take it off. It's got a little lock and a key. And right where the vaginal opening is, it's got a couple of nails sticking across. It's a dead stopper, no doubt about it. <laughs> They actually have them. I saw. I found them online. I I, I I started. This woman was having all this trouble. This was. This was many years ago. I thought, God, what we need is, a, is just is just a, a blockage here. Now you you can't wear it all the time, obviously, and this and that. But it has its 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 you know its its place in a sense. I mean, you can. Yeah. And um and it does work with a key. Right. And of course. You know, they, if you were to put the key somewhere where they can't get at it and you can prevent them from, you know, I mean, they can always just yeah. kind of tell you, you know, yeah, to get the key. But, but it does sort of throw a kink into their plans. Yeah. It's not like you're totally accessible at all times. It makes them work a little harder. Yeah. And it would probably piss them off. Everybody that that's possible. Yeah. But it's something to think about. I can get one of these things online, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: I remember seeing some. They had some. Maybe they still have in Philadelphia. This was so many years ago. I don't even know. They have these sex shops, you know. And I went into one that specialized in bondage dominance. Oh yeah. Place that I frequented quite often. <laughs> <laughs> and but and I was looking for the one thing. I was looking for chastity belts, and they had all these dungeon type whips and chains and this and all this. And here was it. They had a chastity belt in there. Um, yeah. Okay. So there, there's that's that's something. Yeah. Well, you know, be a, it might be worth a try. I mean, because what he's saying is, look at, there's lots of us that can come around. And what he's saying is, we can just use you anytime. That, we that's want. That's what he was saying. It was really hard for me to get in my head up the words for it, because it was all like, he wasn't saying, it, was, he was conveying it, but to look like that yeah um so anyway that's that's something uh, it'll get them all all fired up it'll get them all angry and this and that but at the same time it'll give you a chance to fight back a little bit i'll look into it and see what i can find so i mean i can send it to you if you don't want it you don't have to use it and send it back
1: yeah and we're back so that was that
2: right moving on
1: <laughs> i mean there's nothing really that needs to be said right yeah ever again really
2: <laughs> that's true all right i need a shower
1: <laughs> yeah
2: that's what i'll say
1: ugh god okay um <sighs> what am i doing here <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, So what else we got here? Well, this is the first week, as uh, everyone should know, of the premium, going, having gone premium, which means that anyone listening on iTunes or uh, any source other than Paratopia.net will be hearing a roughly half-hour version of the show, and uh, everyone else will be hearing the full thing. So I thank those of you who have subscribed and or purchased the show uh, separately Um, and or because, you know, there are people doing both.
2: Right, because there's, you know, the special limited edition
1: single (laughs) Yeah, with
2: different with different cover and pop out folders.
1: (laughs) But I do before we get going, I do want to just make one thing clear, because I don't think we have made this clear. And in fact, I asked somebody on our message board if it was clear and it wasn't, that uh, with the subscription, when you get Peritopia magazine uh, in January, that that's a real magazine that we're going to be selling. We're going to be selling it as a PDF
0: right.
1: uh, to the outside world. But for subscribers, of course, you get it for free. So it's not just a newsletter. And I, I think we'd said it's not just a newsletter, but I don't think we really made the impression that it wasn't just a newsletter because, uh, like I said, at least one person has told me they still thought it was basically a newsletter. Right. Uh but it's not. It's going to be uh as if an actual magazine with uh real writers from the wonderful world of um ufology and science and human consciousness and all of that. Maybe not right. this first issue so much, but eventually, you know, it'll be just like the show. Is there a better well, way to say that?
2: Uh no. I think I think you hit it on the head. I, I think the first issue is gonna be pretty kick ass, to be honest with you. Um,
1: yeah, I mean already I mean, we're talking, I mean, I don't know. It's just, you know, I like to spoil things, but should we just save it? Like who's writing
2: for this? Give them a couple. It's fine.
1: Um, Well, I'll tell you who's on board. Phil Imbrogno, George Hanson, Nick Redfern, Emma Woods, Carol Rainey, um, and I'll I'll just leave it there. Yeah. So.
2: (laughs) This ain't no newsletter.
1: (laughs) This ain't no newsletter. This is real articles about real things. Right or right. real articles about fake things.
2: And I will ensure that it looks every bit the part. So Indeed. So yeah, that'll be that'll be that. So if you buy the single episodes, you don't get the magazine. If you do the monthly, you will definitely get that for free, but we will be selling it as a separate entity.
1: Indeed. So without further ado, our guest, uh, you can find him on the internet at www waterufo.net. That's all one word, waterufo.net. His name is Carl Feint. Perhaps you've seen him on the History Channel. Hmm? And he's got a new book out called UFOs in Water, which you can learn all about at waterufo.net. Um, and I'm kind of excited to have him here, Jeff, because we've not dealt with uh, USOs, submerged UFOs, um, right. and water specifically. So... Um, I was kind of excited to uh to go in a, you know a slightly different direction with the ufological uh stuff that we do on the show here.
2: Yeah, we're UFO water versions. <laughs> yes, we're UFO. Oh, I'm water am sorry, versions. I forgot we left that theme. Never Release mind. The Kraken,
1: Paratopia. Please welcome our very special guest, Mr. Carl Feint. Carl, thank you for joining us.
3: Oh, my pleasure, sir. Uh, now,
1: it, it's funny because we talk about UFOs and, and all that sort of stuff all the time, but we've never really specifically dedicated uh, a show to USOs. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, until recently, until I found out about your work, I didn't realize anyone actually sort of parsed that mm-hmm. out and just sort of <laughs> focused on that. So what made you decide to focus on USOs? Uh, for the same
3: reason that you just gave. Uh, the last book written on the subject was uh, uh, Ivan T. Samson's uh, book called "Invisible Residents." Uh, he had about 260 cases in his book, and uh, but the but the problem was he didn't go into the physics of it. He, uh, you know, touching water and what it did with water. His main concern was uh, we were cohabitating this planet with uh, aliens. And I don't buy that. Uh, but but any anyway, the reason I got into it is I had uh, some ed- aeronautical engineering when I was younger. And uh, uh, I, an airplane hitting water it would be smashed the smithereens, you know, at a, a speed. And so the fact that these guys do it so easily uh, just confounded me. And I said, I've got to do something since nobody else is doing it. So. That was the whole idea of getting this whole uh, trying to get all these cases together, so that um, uh, it it would work better. You know,
2: mm-hmm. huh. Carl, I'm I'm curious. Uh, you you say you don't necessarily buy into the what I guess these days is being called the crypto-terrestrial theory, which is that aliens are here living under the water, have probably lived here since before we lived here. So, uh, I'm going to cut right to the chase. What what do you uh, what do you put down to all that? I mean, what do you think that the USOs represent?
3: Uh, They, I believe, are an alien race. Uh, uh, I mean, from somewhere else in space. Uh, uh, We're kind of the uh, uh, only planet in this solar system that has liquid water on its surface. So, therefore, it's kind of convenient if they're passing through, you know, to stop at this kind of refueling station, if not not refueling station, thats bad, actually. <laughs> uh, if they need water for any particular uh, reason, uh, we're it. You know, we're right here. We have salt water, we have fresh water, and uh, in abundance. So, uh, for them to stop by, pick up a little water, and then move on is one thing. Uh, I also have a thing about uh, in my book is about abductions, and uh, in that uh, the abductees are actually looking out of the window while the UFOs are underwater. So uh, to me, it's 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 just like another medium to them. It's it's not a big deal, and um, so I really I'm really am interested in this.
1: That's actually interesting. That was going to be uh, something that I asked you about, which is that you include on your website uh, material on abductees. And so, if mm-hmm. you've got these aliens that are coming here for our water, I mean, do, do you? I don't know. Sort of piece together why it is that they would need to abduct people in the first place.
3: Uh, no, I I really don't have any information on that. Uh, of course, uh, uh, that's more the realm of uh, Bud Hopkins and uh, uh, David Jacobs.
1: Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you got the newsletter, but not anymore.
3: Huh? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Their work
1: has been. Uh question as of
0: of
3: reason. Oh, it has? I haven't heard a word about it.
1: Damn. Yeah. yeah. We have
2: detailed files.
1: (laughs) That's right. If you (laughs) pick up this month's uh, new UFO magazine, you can sort of read all about the dismantling of David Jacobs' work. Um, But okay. Nevertheless, um, so what is it that is specific about UFO... uh, I'm sorry, USOs as opposed to UFOs uh, in terms of evidence that... um, well, that points to a reality in a way that UFOs don't seem to. In other words, there doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of f- good ground trace evidence for UFOs outside of, you know, marks on the ground, that sort of thing. Is, is there more to USOs? Oh,
3: there's a great deal more, a great deal more. You're going to get the book. Um, the, the trouble is, is, yes, you're right, uh, there's no marks, there's no uh, trace, and that water keeps moving it or diluting it, alright? But The thing that is a physical trace is what it does to water. If you see a UFO waving around the breeze up high, okay, what is it doing to the air? Do you see anything? No, you just see the UFO bouncing around. But if that UFO is on top of water or uh, coming out of the water or going into the water, it's doing things with the water. That's where your trace is. And that's what I've brought out in the book. It's actually a field around a UFO. It cooks water. It uh, turns it to steam, uh, mist, whatever you want to call it. And uh, there's a lot to be learned about UFOs through water, which has never been – That one of the problems I have with cases is that I'm, I'm kind of like a garbage pail picker. You know, I, I got one here on this newsletter, one in that journal, one in this magazine – and I have to keep searching all the time to find the few cases that are written because everybody kind of you know pushed poo pooed uh you know water off to the side you know it's it's kind of like uh, like abductees were originally you know oh there's no such thing as abductees but now uh with what I've discovered it's it's pretty uh definitive as far as uh, what it does to water and how it does it so there <laughs> by the huh. way, I hate the term u s o An unidentified submerged object, if it's unidentified and submerged, you can't call it really a UFO. Uh, That's the reason I gave it the term of U-S-O. But if it comes out of the water and flies away or if it's flying and goes into the water, it is a UFO.
2: Carl, I'm curious. um, What about this phenomena that you've you've come across more or less leads you to mechanical craft or flesh-and-blood aliens in, in that sense. I mean, what, what's basically led you to that point?
3: Oh, well, like I say, it, it, it's a physical presence. What it does to water is physical. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, it's a machine. It's not a three-dimensional thing or—I'm or, uh, not, not three-dimensional. I'm multidimensional. It's not a hologram. It, it's, it's a physical craft. It, it splashes water, it, it plows water, it does a whole lot of different things. But the trouble is, is their physics is very much higher than ours, and the field around the UFO operates differently than we conceive of a field. It rotates, and that field is what causes the water to, to separate from the craft. It, uh, the, the water never gets to the craft while the field is on. Now, you can turn the field off, and the water will get onto the craft itself. And it won't harm the crash because it's definitely done it in the East River with Bud Hopkins. But um, uh, there are a lot of physical uh, ramifications of what it does to water to prove that it is a crash. So I have no doubt about it.
2: And you've uh, you've no doubt come across the reports of, uh, well, for instance, U.S. Navy guys coming forward and saying that um, they've had what – what in the UFO world uh, is deemed a cigar shaped craft entering the water and mm-hmm. and literally watching the water engulf not the object itself but engulf something around it that in effect the the water is not even touching the the craft itself
3: yeah, I have one Italian case that's on that website, and uh, in it the um, the people are saying these these are fi- fishermen they're saying that uh, they saw the thing come out of the water and hover above the water, just above the water. Well, the field is still below the UFO as well. You know, it's totally around it, but it's still, the, part of it is underwater. You can't see it. So they've got a hole in the water. And then one of the guys says uh, it gave the impression that was a cushion of air between the UFO and the water holding it back. You know, the cushion of air was holding the water back. Right. It's not a cushion of air. There's no no blowing of air It's the field that's holding it. The thing is, the field's invisible in the daytime, so you don't see it. If it was at nighttime, it'd probably have some kind of a glow, and you would see the glow, probably not the UFO. But uh, in any event, it's the field that is restricting the UFO, the uh, water from touching the UFO. Now, the field is important because it's not only (laughs) a thing to hold water back. It's also, uh, this is a space vehicle, right? Now, uh, just like we do with aircraft, you, you turn on your radar set, you look ahead, you see another airplane coming, and you avoid it because of the radar bouncing, you know, the, the signal back to you. Well, I don't know what kind of radar they may have. It's probably more advanced than ours. But in any event, they can probably manipulate their craft around anything coming towards them. But when you're talking about all these micrometeorites in, 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 uh, in space, those things, those pebbles are coming at you like bullets. Well, you can't avoid those uh, as well as you can large rocks, asteroids, uh, and you have to have another medium to get you keep yourself safe. That field rotates for that purpose. It's also an extremely high energy field. like I said, it cooks water, uh, and what it does is it moves whatever it hits, the, the things that hit the field are moved instantly to the rear of travel of the UFO. So it's a safety device as well as, you know, more than anything else. It's a safety device. I mean, of course, we have gunfire. That was in, uh, what, the Richard Haynes book, uh, U- uh, UFOs of the Fifth Kind, where we, uh, people shooting guns at it. And I have one case on the website there, uh, 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 the Antilles incident, where they actually fired a cannon at a UFO. And uh, I kind of got the guys up there a little angry, and they... <laughs> They kind of uh, sought revenge for that. Uh, I'm not going to tell you, but you can read the entire book on my website. Uh, It's not mine; it's somebody else's. But he died a long time ago, and um, so I kind of adopted it. In any event, uh, like I say, it's it's a safety field, and uh, it's it's not meant to uh, uh, ward off gunfire and stuff, but it sure does help uh, when I'm in our atmosphere.
1: Has there been any uh, effect on? aquatic life, and and if so, what have the studies been on that?
3: Uh, well, uh, not studies per se. Uh, I have one case where dead fish uh, were taken in for uh, um, uh, <laughs> an autopsy or whatever, but uh, uh, they came up with the fact that uh, they said the uh, swimming gland uh, had ruptured, and uh, the, somebody I know, an ethyologist, that uh, uh, told me that what they're probably referring to is a gland in the fish that holds oxygen and keeps it in a vertical mode, uh, you know, up and down. It's, it's kind of like pulling it up to the top. And uh, those those glands were ruptured. That, now, that's the only case that there was an investigation of the fish. But I have a lot of cases of uh, dead fish. As a matter of fact, Shag Harbor, uh, I was with uh, Chris Stiles up in uh, Shag Harbor, and he was doing a presentation both for uh, us, the tourists, and for the uh, media. And, um, and he finished the th- thing up, and he says, Oh, by the way, folks, uh, uh, a week after, all sorts of dead fish started coming up on the shore. Well, the Shag Harbor is pretty large, and uh, I guess dead fish coming to the surface and drifting with the tide you know, would take a while to get in. But I uh, uh, also have dead ducks. Uh, and I have two dead human beings, as a matter of fact. So, yes, huh.
1: dead, uh, dead. Is there a story
3: behind that? What, two human beings? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> the story is don't go swimming with UFOs. But no. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the thing uh, that happened was um, they they had a crash. I think I forget the country, Brazil or something like that, uh, off the shore in. in, in uh, they didn't know whether it was an airplane or a UFO, so they sent down a boy, a marker, you know, a marker to uh, uh, anchor to the place. Well, two divers who were uh, supposedly the best in the neighborhood uh, went down to investigate it. They came back up, and they said they couldn't get near the UFO because the water was too hot. Again, the field in operation. Um, so in any event, uh, that was the last uh, I heard about it until days later. They found their bodies on uh, rocks uh, had been washed ashore and they were both dead and naked. Uh, of course, when you're uh, in the water and you're dying, you bloat and that that would have ripped their uh, swimming hero off, I guess. But uh, yes, it's dangerous uh, to go into the water with a UFO. It's probably an electrical field of some sort, very high power and uh, there's a possibility of, of I, I don't know for sure how it would affect the human, but this possibility of electrocution. Uh, there's, uh, there's several uh, things you could uh, say it might be, but you know we don't have the bodies now to uh, uh, do an autopsy on or anything like that. People don't think of these things when they have a UFO. Uh, most of the time, it's ridicule and everything else that's thrown at you. So. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to do anything in, in the research vein that way unless somebody does it uh, very accurately. Mm.
2: Uh, Carl, I'm curious, uh, in all of the studies that you've done and all the cases that you've looked at, what would you say is the closest proximity that someone has gotten to uh, a, a submerged object of, of this type?
3: Uh, what proximity? Right on we- top. Really? Uh, yeah, there's one case I have in the book, it's it's called uh, Field in Reverse. They they can reverse the field, they can turn off the field, they can do anything they want with the field. Uh, actually, the field in reverse is excellent for going into the water because you avoid a huge impact with it. Um, in any event, in this one particular case, the guy not only touched it, he, he gave a description he said it didn't feel like metal, it felt like uh, uh, cement or sand. And he said you could feel a suction coming in from the top. And then later on, he went back under the UFO after he got some more air. And he said it was being expelled at the bottom. So it's, it's kind of like my field rotation, in from the top and then back out of the bottom, except in my normal mode, what I call the normal mode, it's out of the top and back into the bottom. But anyway, he was right under the UFO. He said it was three uh, feet between the UFO and the sand. So you talk about being close, man. this guy touched it. <laughs> hmm.
1: Is is there a, a certain sound associated with um, UFOs coming up out of the water?
3: Um, uh, no, but what you're doing is you're making it a different craft. That's what I hate about USOs. Every time you talk USOs, they're saying, "Oh, that's that other thing," you know? No, it's the same damn thing. It's it's a uh, it's a, uh, a UFO, uh, which they do is hum. Sometimes, if you hear them, they hum. But um, normally, they're very silent. Of course, that's probably due to a, the matter of distance, you know, how far away are you, uh, and you don't hear it, and how close is it when you do hear the hum? So, you know, no, there's, <laughs> they make noise, but uh, not a heck of a lot of it.
2: And, and how many times uh, over the course of general history of the study of these things do we have, I don't know... We often hear about these stories of pilots either chasing or following after these types of things. I mean, do we have anything from uh, micro subs to nuclear subs to uh, you know the USS whatever uh, in extraordinarily pro- close proximity to these things, possibly firing on them? What's been the reaction to that kind of of, of, of you know involvement? I mean, how deep has that gone? Is there as much of that as there is when they're in the air?
3: Now, first of all, submarines are kind of blind, except for sonar okay right uh so you, you you're not going to see anything while you're underwater uh over the water. Yes, there's been a lot, and a lot of radar returns now uh if they're make believe you wouldn't get a radar return, right Of course, in my right. section on 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 radar and sonar, I also proved that with the field in reverse it wouldn't you wouldn't get it on radar. I got a lot of cases where it says uh, that people were watching it. But radar kept coming back and saying we have no return on it. Well, that's the, the field interfering with the radar beam. In, in one case, if it's in the normal mode, it's kicking the, the, um, uh, the radar beam back to the receiver. But when it's in reverse, it's going up. And so when the radar beam hits it, it may be deflected, but it's still going in the same direction, up so therefore it's never returned to the receiver and the craft is kind of in in radar invisible you might say and that might might apply to the sonar as well
2: have we seen you know that that kind of uh, uh firing you know lobbing a shell at one of these things or shooting at it with a, a mounted gun on on some of these ships uh i mean what's been the reaction of these things number one and number two have they ever fired back
3: Uh, Yes, and that's, again, that that case, I told you, on my my left-hand column, it just says book. When you go down to that part that says other things of interest, uh, book is the Antilles incident, and it's by a very good researcher, Donald R. Todd. He he died, and me and uh, Jan Aldrich were trying to get his papers. And the thing is, that book is uh, uh, actually fiction, in, in a way. Uh, He, on the inside cover, says it's fiction only in the fact that the ship's number, which is Mm 0000, doesn't exist. Uh, The place where the uh, incident occurred doesn't exist. The names of the crew uh, were changed. And the whole purpose was to protect the commander who was giving Donald Tard the whole story about the case. Now, in this, this commander is sent into the Atlantic or somewhere, and uh, told to go to certain coordinates. Well, they go to the coordinates, and the, guy said, the commander says, well, what am I looking for? He says, you'll, well, you'll know when you see it. So anyway, he goes to the coordinates, and sure enough, there's this UFO bouncing around on the water. Well, they first go towards it, and then it, it submerges, so they drop a depth charge on it. Welcome to Earth, aliens. Right. <laughs> so in any event... Um, they, they couldn't get it that way, and then the UFO moves off underwater, and they see it near the surface somewhere else. So they turn the ship uh, towards the, the where it surfaced, and they try to ram it with the ship. Well, the UFO realizes these guys are wacko, and up, up in the air he goes, you know, try to catch me up here, you know. Well, it, <laughs> they do with the cannon. You know, I, I described that before. They took two shots at it, and it hit the field, And they said uh, the first thing that happened was sparks as it hit the field. Now, again, this is a rotating, high-energy field. It's like putting an axe on a spinning, uh, what you call it, uh, a grind wheel, and you have sparks coming off of it. Then the shell exploded, and twice. So needless to say, these guys upstairs, there were kind of ticked off at these guys in the boat. I'm sure they're getting a concussion, if nothing else, from the explosion of the shell. And uh, so next thing, they fire a ray down uh, towards the ship. And uh, it just happened to be that the ship was turning at that moment, and it grazed the metal and seared the metal straight down. Now, had that hit the ship straight on, it could have sunk it, you know. It was melting the metal. So they've got a means of uh, retaliating if they want to, but they rarely do. They play games with the Air Force, you know, chase him off this way and then that way and around him. Um, I think it was this guy's name was Jacobs or something like that that had uh, uh, Atlas Missile. He was supposed to photograph uh, Atlas Missiles from all different angles on, mm-hmm. uh, on the takeoff uh, to make sure that if there were any explosions, they knew where were they, what was happening. Well, it turns out that they called him in the next day and said, what are you doing, playing games? And he says, what are you talking about? So they showed him the film. And here's this uh, Atlas missile moving at thousands of miles an hour, with a UFO walking around it and pushing a, a bright uh, a beams of light into the Atlas missile, which eventually went off course and got destroyed. So, uh, yeah, these guys are—they <laughs> are very good.
1: <laughs> are there different shapes of UFOs uh, or USOs reported, and, and if so, do they correlate to? different bodies of water or different parts of the world
3: no 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 a ufo is a ufo and like i say ufo uso i hate because that that, that implies a different craft and uh what you see in the skies is what goes into the water as well so people the, report
1: triangles as well triangles
3: i have several cases of triangles uh, uh i've got several of the uh, what you call submarine type shape uh, or cylinder uh uh, I have, um, what's that thing, uh, the acorn thing, like Keksberg I have a small one uh, that's a very good case, Poland. And um, they come in all shapes and sizes, but they have, like I say, a protective field around all of them. So they're not worried about water. Uh, they, they they can go any shape they can go in. They're protected all over. Hmm.
2: Uh Carl I'm curious. I, I live uh very very close to a place that is at least in UFO circles is known for its uh, uh, submerged UFOs or UFOs coming out of the water, which is Loch Raven Reservoir. Uh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm about uh 15 minutes away. Uh-huh. And uh and over the years I've interviewed uh a number of people that have that have seen some very strange things there. Uh not all of which pertain to ufos or usos but in particular i wanted to ask you about um october 26 1958 when we had uh alvin cohen and philip small which to my knowledge is probably the two guys who first sighted something weird around lock raven reservoir and they said that their object was egg-shaped and was located um well, as you drive into the dam, I don't know if you've been there or not. You're in you're in Delaware, if I remember correctly. I'm in
3: Delaware, but I was called into a case in Lock Raven. Okay. Uh, you want me to do the story on it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear it.
3: Okay. Well, first of all, you know, Lock Raven was already uh, Richard Hall's territory for the 1958 case that was right.
2: there. Right, right.
3: Okay, so you already have the situation. Now, That that's, I, I believe, bridge number one, if you look at a map. Uh, Correct. Sure. In any event... Uh, Bridge number one, uh, they had cars at both ends coming and going over that bridge that uh, saw this UFO hovering above the bridge. Well, the thing is, there was a guy in in Maryland that uh, uh, they had an anniversary type thing in the newspaper saying X number of years ago, this was a a sighting at Raven Dam. So anyway, uh, this guy went off to a friend of mine, Keith Chester, who actually wrote another good book uh, by the name of Strange Company about UFOs, uh, food fighters. Mm -hmm. In any event, he called me and said, Carl, I'd like you to help me with this case since you've done interviews. I've done cases. And he says, "Uh, uh, would you come to Maryland and give us a hand? So I did. And this guy had gotten confused. The anniversary issue of the uh, Lock Raven uh, UFO sighting, was in '58. His was in '53.
2: Oh, okay.
3: Bingo. Now where? Bridge number one. Same bridge. Mm-hmm. And the thing was, he he and his friend were going on a date uh, to, to some college nearby. There, or any event, and so anyway, the car stalls out just uh, close to bridge one, and uh, the, the one guy says, "We're not. You're not supposed to run out of gas now. After we pick up the girls, you know." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in, any, in any event, um, uh, next thing they they look over towards they now this is nighttime now. Uh, they're looking over towards the water, and bang, there's this U- big U- UFO hovering over the water and sucking up water, which again is a part of my my uh, uh, story about uh, the UFO physical influences. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any event. Uh, the one guy runs up an embankment on his left, and the other guy uh, goes almost <laughs> on the guardrail. And and there's a steep drop off into the water after that, so he had to hold on to the guardrail, I guess. But uh, they were terrified. Well, the UFO finally leaves, and uh, they try to get back to the car, and the wires are fried, fried. Mm-hmm. So any anyway, of that, uh, they had to wait for the cops that uh, do the patrol around the dam, and uh, they got uh, picked up and. Next thing, the men in black well they weren't the men in black, but they were civilians uh, in suits and not police officers gave them a question separately. They questioned them separately, and finally let them go back with a warning that you don't talk about this, you know again. It's right. mm-hmm. twice that uh, I didn't hear about another one. You said there was another one in 58.
2: Well, there was one in nineteen fifty eight which was the egg shaped uh craft, the same bridge, which yeah. is literally the first bridge well, when you come off of the main yeah. uh road, it's actually the last bridge before the dam, but but the way I oh. usually go, it's the that, first bridge past the dam. Yeah,
3: that was the hill
2: one then, wasn't it? Uh that uh, would that Richard well Hall, Hall, Richard Hall well, Richard Hall probably, yeah, was was involved in that one. I mean I had one I would say it 's probably been fifteen to sixteen years ago a man and a woman uh, were near Bridge one I had just crossed over it as you cross over Bridge one on your left hand side mm-hmm. is what amounts to an island uh, when the water raises and the dam is closed that that island uh gets cut off from its sandbar attachment to the land and um as a rule it's kind of the place to go a drink beer to smoke dope or have sex <laughs> with your girlfriend <laughs> when you're you when you're a youngin and, uh-huh. um, and 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 they were out there and of course i think he was 24 she was 28 mm-hmm. and uh they were just taking a walk and uh and not partaking in any particular illegal or legal activities just walking Um, they saw a very large, what he described as at least as big as a Volkswagen, very spherical light uh, that seemed to have dimension to it, rose up out of the water not more than about 50 feet from the land bar. Mm -hmm. And he said that uh, it did not disturb the water in any way whatsoever. It made uh, no sound whatsoever, but it came up out out of the water, approached them, uh, or he said it seemed to get closer, and as it got closer uh it it i guess he the way he explained it to me was instantaneous acceleration, which I have heard over and over and over over the past twenty four years yeah. and um and it exited over their heads, and the only sound that was made was the trees that are on this little little patch of land uh gently blue but not by any stretch to the notion of the speed at which this thing should have displaced air. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten, I I can't tell you how many people have seen everything from green glowing objects there, nondescript shape, to objects in the water Mm -hmm. barely being covered by water. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything from, I've got written down here from the notes I had, yellow, purple, blue, green, uh, and amber all of those. One of them in the shape of a uh, like a Celtic cross shape, which I thought was really weird. Mm-hmm. But that area in general is is a hotbed for all sorts of things. Well,
3: um, keep in mind now that's fresh water, right? Am
2: I or am I mistaken? Well, it's a it's a man made dam, yeah. So it's uh you know there's literally where it, what what I find the most interesting, and this is this is why I asked about Lock Raven in particular. Uh, not only because of my history there, but where most of the UFO sightings happen in Lock Raven is, to the left of the bridge, mm-hmm. is a a city that is, well, a town that literally was abandoned, evacuated, and then the dam ensued. So you've literally got buildings down underneath the water there. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not they're still standing, I have no idea. But the foundations certainly are there. That is a man-made dam. Uh, and there were houses and there was there was a school i know there was a school underneath there talking to the locals so that's what i find really interesting about that is that uh down underneath that water is you know is evidence of us <laughs> which is
3: looking for uh, housing
2: i just thought it was i think it's kind of interesting you know um and we've you know, we've we've talked a lot about uh uh different connections to ufo's and and not the least of them being the, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which I have to tell you, just with all due respect, I'm not a big fan of that. But you know the 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 notion of of what one of our other guests has conveyed on a couple of episodes now, which is the notion of uh, chaos uh, and uh, discord and change. Uh, surrounding objects uh, appearing, disappearing, coming up out of the water, what have you. Um, there all there always seems to be some sort of connective tissue between paranormal events, and uh, and Lock Raven certainly is no exception in that regard.
3: Yeah, well, I, I realize that. Like like I said, I, I interviewed the man himself, and he was very adamant about what happened. Unfortunately, he co- I couldn't go further with the investigation. I wanted to take him down to the dam so I could get a. You know, view, point this direction, do that, whatever have you. But uh, he had um, uh, the lung disease to start with, and um, uh, he smoked very heavily.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So as the year passed uh, from winter, I was going to get him in the spring, but he had died before then. Right. In any event, what you're talking about, uh, not moving the UFOs, it doesn't appear to be moving water at all. Right. Uh, is very common. Again, there's a lot of people who've seen holes in the water. And, of course, that's the field uh, uh, under the UFO when it's very close to the water. It's, it's holding the water back. So they, they assume it came out of a hole. But there's no hole. It's, it's, a, it, it's just a depression of the craft pushing on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with, the, with the field in reverse, okay, you got to picture this thing coming out of the bottom and going up to the top. Now, it comes out of the bottom. It's pushing down on the water, then it's rotating to um, uh, the side of the UFO, which is, again, pushing water away and then rotating up past the UFO. So you have a a a moving force that's constant, 360 degrees. So when this thing hits the water... It moves the water. It doesn't just hit the water. Right. There's
2: no resistance. Right. right no resistance whatsoever. I mean.
3: Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it slips in like it's a, it's it's a tissue paper or something. You know. It right. Through. Right. Uh, it, it's all explained in the book about how it works, and sure, it's got a lot of diagrams and stuff. But uh, it, it's so easy at, to realize that it is nothing but physics. There's nothing uh, strange and mysterious. Yes, the technology is mysterious. I mean, uh, how how do you power something like that, you know, especially where some of these things are way down in the bottom of the ocean somewhere with a lot of pressure that submarines can't get to, and yet they can resist the pressure. Mm -hmm. There's one heck of a a, a physics behind their, their craft, I'll tell you that.
1: Uh, is is there any place in, in the ocean or in any fresh body of water that would be sort of a an oceanic UFO hotspot that would imply a base of some sort?
3: No, I, I hate the Bermuda Triangle thing. History Channel once had a thing about Lloyds uh, uh, of London. And Lloyds of London had said on the program that they could draw a triangle on any body of water, at, you know, oceans I, I'm talking about. Uh, any uh, ocean area, and they could come up with the same kind of figures about sunken ships and missing airplanes. So this whole Bermuda Triangle, the Dragon's Triangle—they're all kind of buy sell book type thing, you know. Uh, to me, it's a bunch of garbage. Um, uh, do they go to certain places? Perhaps uh, Argentina uh, had something going where they thought uh, they had a base nearby because they was frequently seen so often going into the water. Um, It's rare you see them coming out of the water because you're not prepared for it. But if you see something in the sky diving, then you know it's there, so you're you're on that. But no, I'm not for hotspots. In in my abductee part of the book, I have uh, water and bases, and uh, there are, I believe, bases uh, underwater, but not not, uh, the – what do you call it – the movie –
2: the abyss.
3: The abyss. The abyss. <laughs> no, not an abyss. Not not one of these uh, community type things. Uh, it's more like a uh, military type of setup. You know, it's it's very plain, um, very you know, not primitive, but uh, plain living quarters. You know, where they can rest or something like that. Uh, hmm. I, I, I don't see this as any kind of a uh, cohabitation. No way. It, it's just like a resting point. Not a fact that they, the person who was talking about it, said there were multiple craft underneath in this, uh, what you might call a hangar underwater. You know, it's, it's actually a
2: cavern in the water.
3: So no, yes, they are underwater, but no, they don't live here. They go hmm. off into space again.
2: I'm curious uh, what your feeling is when someone would say to you, and I'm going to say it to you: uh, <laughs> How many of these cases do you believe have the potential to be? top-secret military projects.
3: Um, this has been happening uh, for, uh, oh, I've got one case that goes back 1067. Mm-hmm. And well,
2: Christopher Columbus, you know, Christopher Columbus saw a, a UFO. I mean, so.
3: That, he didn't see a UFO. That, that damn program on History Channel is really screwed up. <laughs> really? Uh, if, you, if you go to the Fordham uh, uh, website, they have a thing on the Columbus sighting. Uh And I I have it on my website, as a matter of fact, under historical figures. And all he says is that they saw a flickering light on the horizon and acted like a candle, you know, bouncing around and going up and down. Uh, But that's all it says. It does not say a UFO. It does not say a mechanical contrivance. It didn't come out of the water. It was on top of the water, uh, off in the distance, of course. Now, they still couldn't see land because the curvature of the Earth. So they just saw a light dancing on the water in, in, on the horizon somewhere okay. at night. So no no big mystery there. Uh, there are a lot of uh, strange things. Uh, the King of England, I saw some red thing, which was seen by another ship as well. And then, of course, Thor Heydell in 47 uh, uh, with the Kantiki. Um, uh, he's got, I've got that on the website in that same area, uh, talking about this thing that came out of the water, uh, looked like a, a circular thing, and it hovered in the air for a while. So uh, Contiki, for uh, uh, Heidel, saw this thing uh, coming out of the water. So uh, when you talk about recent, uh, it goes back, it goes back. It's just that most ufology, uh, somebody must have said, you know, okay, we got UFOs in 1947, weren't there any before well, there have been a lot of researchers who have been doing nothing but that, and then oh, sure. people, people who are archivists. Uh, I, one of my cases in there is about a sea serpent in 1893, and uh, uh, 1893 sea serpent. Well, I've got it broken down with uh, brackets all the way through. Uh, talking at one point, he's talking about uh, the sea monster had eight eyes. It was 150 feet long. It shocked the guys, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Again, electrical field. Do you mm-hmm. know of anything that's 150 feet long that shocks people? I mean... Uh, electrical eel. That, that's not 150 feet long. <laughs> hey. But, but needless to say, it doesn't have eight eyes. Right, so exactly. The, the eight eyes would probably be windows. We mistook it for windows. They were mm-hmm. all terrified, needless mm-hmm. to say, when this thing approached the beach. It's a very long article from uh, the bay up in uh, the – it's one of the big uh, bays uh, along the California coast. And um, uh, that's where this occurred. Now, the guys were only going fishing. There was like seven of them or six or seven of them. And uh, next thing they they met a group of people who were uh, the guys who do sightings for property.
1: Like a surveyor?
3: Surveyor, yeah, exactly. So they had a bunch of surveyors, and they had met them uh, during the day. Well, that night they were all sleeping. That's when this whole thing about the sea monster took place. And the surveyors were there with them because they heard the noise made uh, by this thing. And uh, they were all looking at the sea when this thing came close and towards the shore. So uh, the thing is you don't realize these old stories and the way they're described is not like I saw a UFO. They saw something else that scared the hell out of them. Right. So in any event, uh, you, you've got to make interpretations from not only what they said, but also uh, what they're, they're describing, and a lot of times they are describing a UFO. It's just that in the water it doesn't look like a UFO as we conceive of it, it's something that's in the water and coming towards them, so therefore it's a sea monster, and on and on it goes, but uh, no, there's a lot of old stuff, and they've been around a long time, and it, kind of willing to bet that they might have been here for, you know, Lord knows how many uh, centuries, And not to mention millennium.
1: Well, let me ask you this on a, on a whole other tangent. Um, okay. It seems that something coming up out of the water and then flying away is um, a bit easier to pass off in the media as an anomalous event. Have you ever tried to get other ufologists to dig into this as the case for something really is going on here?
3: I, I, I'm i a little, uh, I didn't quite
1: catch it. Well, in other words, uh, a normal UFO sighting, which is, a, you know, a light in the sky or something like that, that uh, a Leslie Kane mm-hmm. or, or even a dogfight with a general, you know, from, from Iran or, or whatever, you know, talking about I chased after this thing. I mean, there's still something more elusive even about that to bring to the media as your evidence that. There are aliens here. Uh, wouldn't Do you think that your work is actually more? <laughs> because what else could come up out of the water and fly away except something that we didn't uh, well, the build? the things
3: I can think of is one flying fish. Needless to say, these things are a hell of a lot larger than flying fish. And the, other, the other thing is a Poseidon missile or something of that nature. And no, um, you'd recognize either one, you know. Uh, to call them a UFO, no, that, uh, that that would be a mistake. What these people are seeing is, and when they describe it, fits a UFO. I mean, it, it's not a different thing. Like I say on and on again, it's the same craft. The thing is they go into the water, they come out of the water. They've got an entirely different kind of, I hate the term propulsion system because it's, it's always us with burning and uh, uh, exiting, you know, a, uh, some kind of push, and it's that's not their their means of propulsion.
1: Right. I guess so, what I'm maybe what I'm getting at is, do you think that UFOs that come out of the water is automatically, because it's a UFO coming up out of the water and flying away, is better evidence of the UFO phenomena uh, than a normal sighting where that doesn't happen? And if so, why isn't this pushed more, you know, on Larry King <laughs> or shows like that where people are, you know, trying to give evidence to the mainstream media? Why not just look to... This type of UFO activity, and go. What else could do this?
3: Well, right now, Larry King, I understand, is the last season, wasn't it, or something like that? Uh, (laughs) Well, that's that's not really the point. It doesn't matter. The the, the whole thing is is water. Like I said before, was always kind of poo pooed. You know, you hold it off at arm's length and say, "Oh yeah, that was a case," but who cares? Uh, um, But I've been stringing all these reports together. I have one thousand one hundred sixty-five cases so far. Now I had two years off while I was writing the book, uh, but I'm back in business again. So I, I still have, I have papers all over here of different reports of UFOs coming out, going in. I have guys, sailors, that have written me, you know, and they said I was on this uh, carrier, I was on this uh, destroyer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all different kinds of ships. And um, I, I keep wondering why don't more people see them. He says, well. There's very few people usually on deck because the ship's moving at, you know, uh, uh, roughly uh, 40 miles an hour, I guess it is. I I forget how many knots. But uh, in any event, that's a bit of a breeze, you know, to be playing on deck. So you're only there on deck for whatever specific purpose you're there for. So there's not a whole lot of crew topside, except on carriers when they're launching airplanes. But uh, seeing these things, and mostly lights underwater, solid lights underwater, uh there, however, there's a guy named Gaczynski um uh, out uh midwest somewhere who uh, has been campaigning trying to get uh, stuff on the roosevelt um the u s s roosevelt right because uh, he saw one and he said there were people on the deck one guy a friend of his even drew a picture of it for the defense department uh yes they're they're uh, real to me, but they're no more real than than like the one you brought up, Iran uh, with the, uh, the dogfights. Uh, there's been several dogfights. There was a dogfight in China too. Uh, Finland uh, supposedly had one. Uh, these guys toy with us. They absolutely toy. They know the minute we get them locked on, bang, they break the lock and they're gone. You know, it, it, <laughs> to me, the technology is unbelievable. Well, what about and, just
1: and- what about just statistically? You know, you always hear. UFO reports, uh eighty to ninety something percent are identifiable. Does that hold true with for something that's coming up out of the water?
3: Uh I don't have any figures on it. Uh like I said, all I'm doing is collecting the cases, so I I, I haven't got time to play with statistics. Uh I'm sure statistics uh statistics could add up to anything, you know. Uh, but uh, for what I've learned from this thing, uh it's easy for me to see why it's more real because I, I don't have, Ted Phillips is the one who does land trace case, cases, you know, uh, burnt uh, tr- uh, bark on trees, busted tree limbs, uh, uh, roots of grass that have been burned where the grass isn't burned, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and, and calcified soil, a soil that's been altered chemically somehow. And it's all due to the field around the UFO. They find branches that bust it, but they're burned as well. That's because of the high energy. So, yes, Ted's thing is very apropos and, and very uh, proof-worthy. The trouble is, is uh, with water, I don't have the same thing. I can only do uh, what people see. So I have to deal with that. And the thing is, I, I had four different groups, and it drove me nuts because, uh, uh because I recognize four different things that UFOs are doing. Now, these are witnesses talking and telling me what they saw, you know, in reports, not to me personally. In any event, uh, I couldn't group them together. Well, one night, I, like I said, I, I took an aeronautical engineering. I did some drafting work in the old days. And uh, so I said, I'm going to draw it just so I can see physically, if there's any physical thing that will pop out of, my, out of it into my eyeball. Well, it did, and when I did, I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. To me, I just kept saying they're real. I've always been 50-50 myself on UFOs. I mean, they're wonderful stories, but they're stories. Well, (laughs) this one, bang, it it connected, and I said nobody could make up a fairy tale of these four things that are melded together, you know, or they, they all have something in common, and I found it that night, and it's the field. It's the field. It, it's operating in different aspects, and this group sees one thing, that group uh, on a different case sees something else, and down the line. But they all have the field in common, and that's what draws them together. It's it's perfect. They're real. They're, I have no doubt about it.
2: Carl, what would you say? Uh, I'll tell you mine after you tell me yours. What do you think the best visual evidence of UFOs interacting with water is?
3: Oh, uh, documentation. If you're talking documentation, share Garber wins, hands down. Hands down.
2: Visual data, photographs, video, whatever.
3: Oh, no, no, no. Uh, no, it was, a, it was at nighttime. The witnesses that lived there, Sherry Garber's a fishing boat, very small. Mm-hmm. In any event, the witnesses, the, the kids in the cars were coming from two different directions and saw these lights coming down never dawned on them that it was a ufo they thought it was an airliner crashing into the water so they called the mounted police now the mounted police in canada if a they file a, if somebody files a report they have to investigate it no matter what it is well they it didn't say that it was a ufo to the starters they didn't think it was they thought it was an airplane crashing well a mounted uh, police officer was in the, nearby and he was directed to go and interview these guys the Mounted policemen saw the lights going into the water. The next day, um, well, they sent out uh, boats, uh, All, like I said, they were all fishermen, so they sent out boats that night uh, looking for survivors of the crash. Well, there were no survivors. The UFO, the lights, had actually gone underwater, so they assumed the airplane had sunk. So the they, next day they had notified the Navy, and the Navy came out uh, with some, I guess, coast guard cutter or something and divers, to go look under the water where this whole thing happened. They didn't find anything, supposedly, anyway. But that wasn't the end of the story, because it turns out this UFO went up the coast, underwater, to Shelbourne, which was a top-secret military uh, place, not Shelbourne itself, but the mouth of the, the, uh, where the water dumped out into the ocean. Uh, that was a sub-tracking base. You know, all the wires came in together at Shelbourne. So in any event, uh, that's where the story actually began again, because they, they had tracked it all the way up from Shag Harbor through these <laughs> underwater cables, and uh, it was off Shelbourne. Now, they bring in the U.S. and Canadian Navy and surround the UFO, not for an hour, not for a day, but for a full week, a full week, underwater, surrounded by Navy ships. The only thing that screwed up the, the thing was that the, uh, the Soviets uh, came in with a submarine and tried trying to figure out why all these ships were gathered around this uh, mouth of the river, and uh, they went out to chase the subway. Well, as soon as they did that, they kind of freaked The The water's only 60 feet deep there, Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I figured, I think it's 25 feet for the uh, draft of the boat. And so you don't have a lot of operating room below. And so once they moved, the UFOs took off. Uh, they, they not there. They went underwater to, uh what was it, uh, the Gulf of Maine. And uh, there was a scene coming out of the water, maybe not the same ones, maybe it was different, but they saw two UFOs coming out of the water. So mm-hmm. in any event... The guy who researched this thing, Chris Stiles, he dug into all the newspapers and Freedom of Information Act. I met him in New Jersey once, and I, I said, Chris, how many pieces of paper do you got, 10, 20? And he says, I've got a four-drawer file cabinet full of Canadian and U.S. documents on this thing that doesn't exist. Hmm. So four drawers of a full file cabinet. You want to picture how much paper there's in there?
2: Right, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, back to the original question for me was, visual evidence-wise, photos, video, what do you think is the best for the evidence of UFOs interacting either in or out of the water?
3: None. Uh, A, underwater photography, you'd have to be prepared for the thing being there, and, and there's not that much, uh, you know, you don't have any notification mm-hmm. about where they're going to show up. Uh, 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 Ribicoff, uh was a scientist he saw something underwater and it was photographed uh, it was a scientific vessel and it turned out okay. to be a uh, ray, uh, uh, a stingray of some sort Okay. but at first he had thought it, he said that the speed was constant, this, that and the other thing he compared it to some kind of craft so mm. no, that was no good but I do have a case, the one in the field in reverse where the guy was under it touched it so as far as contact goes, bang—you got it right there.
2: How about uh, how about April twenty-six and ninety-four? Ed Walters' ship over the Santa Rosa Sound that was uh, sucking up water, multi-lobed uh, uh, yeah. uh, objects.
3: I've, I've got that on my website, and uh, uh, I, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bruce Mackabee did the investigation. It's a Polaroid camera. Yeah. So uh, trying to phony something up with that is, would be, uh, you know, very difficult. Mm-hmm. But in any event, uh, the UFO sucking up water is, again, a part of my, my thing with the UFOs, the physical, the physical end. And I have that in that paper on my website, Physical Influences of a UFO on Water. Sucking up water is part of the suction. It's, it's kind of like it, it's high speed, it's high energy, and it's rotating extremely fast, and it's causing an updraft, like a vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. And that's what's causing this this thing. Now, the the higher up it gets, it loses that vacuum. It's sucking air mainly, so you don't have the suction of water. And uh, but the closer you get to the water, the more the suction acts on the water like a vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. And uh, or if part of the UFO rotates, usually uh, one part will rotate. And if it does, then it's causing like a cyclonic effect uh, below it. And you got this rotation like a a, a tornado at sea or a water spout. And it does suck up water, but it's not sucking water up to get it into the craft. It's kind of like a byproduct. You talk about a a prop uh, wash on an airplane. Prop wash is not designed into the airplane. It's something that occurs, you know, because of the propeller rotation. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with the UFO. It's, it's, uh, the, the suction below wasn't intentionally there for that purpose. It's just part of the rotating field. In our atmosphere, in space, you wouldn't have a rotating uh, the suction because there's nothing to suck.
2: Right.
1: Uh, well, you, you talked about that, that you've sort of, what, figured out what this, what the mechanics are, what the physics are. Is this something that you could build?
3: Uh, no, not physically. I, I mean, I can tell about the rotation of the field and so forth, which I have, and I've expressed it in the book. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can go on to that the physical influence page that has it, essentially what's in Chapter 2 uh, of the book. It, it's I don't understand how the engine works that, that makes it fly. Keep in mind, they can turn the field off. They can turn the field off and still hover. Now, if they're hovering, there's, there's something else that they're doing. The field is kind of like a separate entity than than, than the uh, in, uh, the entire power plant. Um, so in any event, the, the, the rotation of the field was the thing I was most interested in because it explains all the physical characteristics of what's going on with the water.
1: You know, when we talk about how people used to view this in the past as opposed to now, and now we look back and we go, well, they were probably talking about spaceships. Um, for instance, the 1800s when people were seeing um, airships, did people in boats who were reporting UFOs see these same airships? Did they say see them coming up out of the water?
3: I'm not a, a big on history myself. Uh, I take the cases if I get one with uh, these kinds of reports in them. Uh, 17th, 18th century, there were a lot of things about strange things in the water or strange clouds that did strange things. Uh, Going way back into history, I'm sure there were UFOs around. I mean, I have no way of proving that, of course. But uh, the thing is interpretation. Uh, When you're talking different technologies of uh, then and now, we're talking two entirely different thought processes, you know. So uh, what they saw would probably be interpreted entirely differently than what we interpret today now.
1: Well, I guess just in terms of uh, saying that these are aliens from outer space mm-hmm. and you do include um, abduction research in your work. Um, mm-hmm. And as, so as you know, abduction research, uh, a lot of those accounts, in fact, arguably all of them uh, outside of Travis Walton, are uh, pretty personal, pretty yeah. personalized. We're talking beings that speak our language and sometimes know us better than we know ourselves type of thing. And if we're talking about these beings having been here for thousands of years, how long do they have to be here and know us better than we know ourselves before they're not alien anymore?
3: Uh, well, first of all, you're talking about them speaking our language. I don't believe that's the case. Uh, most of the time it's telepathy. So these people are getting uh, a, 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 an image or something in place of speech. As a matter of fact, they said, I don't know how they talk to me. They, they just talk to me. So, so we're not talking language here. We're talking uh, uh, tele- telepathy, and I, I am uh, very big on telepathy. Um, I mean, I, I don't research it or anything like that. But I, my mother had an experience during World War II uh, that uh, shocks us today, even you know, when we talk about it. So I believe in telepathy, and um, the thing she had was. I'll tell you a story. She uh, she uh, is a um, of German of, uh, German extraction. So needless to say, during World War Two, you can't talk to your relatives overseas, right? So event, anyway, uh, she's cleaning the house one day when she had an, uh, a vision. Now she's not uh, uh, paranormal or anything like that. She's a very down to earth person, and uh, she had a vision of a funeral, and she couldn't uh, imagine what the heck was going on. But she did have presence of mind to write down the date and the time that it occurred. And she tucked it away in a drawer, hoping that when the war was over, she could call the home and, and find out what was going on over there. So anyway, they, they did that. They went through the whole rigmarole at the end of the war, who was with this and what happened there. And uh, Then they asked her, well, what happened to you during the war? So my mother talked about this um, uh, thing with the uh, telepathy, uh, uh, about the uh, funeral, the funeral. So anyway, uh, the sister in Germany said, uh, what date was it? Bang. So anyway, uh, uh, she said, what what happened on that date? And it was her mother's funeral. Somebody in Germany was thinking of her in New York, and without any radio transmission, nothing, she had gotten a view of the funeral from that person's eyes and brain. So needless to say, I think we're all capable of telepathy, but we just kind of disregard it because we don't want people reading our minds. So when you talk about people communicating, that's where I go, you know, it's telepathy.
1: Have you ever had uh, a paranormal or a ufological experience?
3: Uh, uh, No, ufological, no. Um, uh, Paranormal, no, I I can't really say I've had anything along those lines. Except for the boogeyman, of course, when I was like four or something, you know. But uh, no, that's about it, you know. No, I, I'm no no paranormal. Uh, I'm I'm just interested in the subject. Aviation. I've been in aviation since I was six years old. I used to carve of wood blocks, but uh, for airplanes. And um, so, aviation. I I, I finally I, I uh, retired from a major airline after working for 34 years for them. Aviation all my life And of course UFOs are A kind of aviation Not really but they're They're in the air And in the water
2: Uh, So Carl I'm curious When we're talking about um, The the theory which is uh, Extraterrestrials that are Mm -hmm. Coming here basically Because we're a source of water Um it it seems to me like uh not not a reach uh, i certainly I, I don't i'm not one to kind of dismiss the eth as a possibility mm-hmm. uh it certainly is to me but to look across the entire scope when you're talking about experience or data when you're talking about close encounters when you're talking about uh, uh submerged ufo's all of these things uh seem to carry with them a little bit of what they refer to as high strangeness activity. And I'm curious, as far as the uh, submerged UFO thing goes, how often do you come across an account that you either feel like, A, someone is holding something back because they don't want you to think they're nuts, despite the topic that it is, Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not they're involved in it is usually irrelevant. When you're talking about something that is already considered somewhat taboo to talk about or or, uh, a subject of ridicule, how often do you have someone come to you with an experience of having a sighting that involves a UFO in the water Mm -hmm. that also coincides with what I refer to as, quote, really weird shit (laughs) Uh, that you can't necessarily attribute to the subject that we're even talking about? I mean, that the story just you know it evolves into something truly, truly uh, surreal and and very altered per states of perception, that sort of thing. Do you come across that at all when you're talking about the USO phenomenon?
3: Not me, because I'm too well acquainted with it. If somebody came up with a real a hack story type thing... I'd be uh, very easily to identify how bad it is. Right. Because I've got so many cases behind me that I, I know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have two or three cases, one involving a movie actor who was fishing with a friend that saw uh, like uh, pinpoint uh, waves uh, underneath the UFO. I still can't explain that one. Um, so that's kind of an anomaly to me. Uh of course, he was pretty close to the UFO so he might have been able to be in that range where he could see something that others didn't. Right. Uh, I, but as, as far as, you know, witchcraft or any kind of other garbage going in there, no, no. I, I uh, The stories are all generally along the very same line. I saw this uh, come down and went into the water. I saw it come out of the water. I have a pilot. I have a pilot. One of the cases in there. Uh, it's Pudget Sound. That's what I was looking for before. Pudget okay. Sound. And this guy had a, um, uh, he retired uh, for many years, flying airplanes, never saw a UFO. So anyway, he's got a house with this huge uh, bay window type thing, you know. And so anyway, he sees something down at the end one day, and it's headed for the water. So he heads for the phone thinking there's a plane crashing. It goes into the water, but then while he's dialing, it comes out of the water. Then it goes back into the water. Then it comes out of the water. Then it goes back into the water, all the way past his window. It was repeating this sequence, in, out, in, out. It's kind of like kids playing in, a, in a, a puddles, you know, or something like that. So, in any event, here, here's this pilot who's definitely not UFO, and here he sees one when he's on the ground, mm-hmm. and it's going in and out of the water. So, I mean, and, and that's not the only case of in and out of the water. Sometimes it's just like they're, they're happy to find it, you know, or whatever have you, and, and they're kind of enjoying playing in it, you know. Hmm. It, it, it's childish, but, uh, I mean, we talk about being out in the desert and wanting a, a drink of water. Or you find a, an oasis, and you're ready to take a bath in it, or drink it, and do whatever, you know. So. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh you know when you're talking about the uh, the abduction phenomena in in the way of this mm-hmm. uh, particular facet um, can you tell me a little bit about how how is the data collected is it direct recall or is it mainly through uh, regression or therapy
3: one case I know uh, connections that that Santa jameson uh, I get these cases from books by the way usually mm-hmm. I, I'm not into regressive hypnosis or anything else I, I just Get them out of books, newsletters, this, that, and the other thing. Right. Well, I read her, I read her book because I, I met her in Washington, and of course, you know, you, you got, you're curious, so you buy the book. And next thing you know, bang! There's a page in front of me about water, and it wasn't specific. Uh, she said I wasn't even sure that I was underwater. However, that there were other th- circumstances that drove me to the fact that she definitely was underwater. There's no question. Um, I only have three major cases with this uh, thing uh, of the water being held away from the ship. And all of these abductees referred to it as a tunnel. Well, two of them anyway. One called it a tube, which, of course, in England is the railroad system through a tunnel. Uh, And uh, those three all specified a tunnel. They were in a tunnel. They're looking at the curved sides of the field because it's coming up, going past the window, and then back in at the top. Well, they can't see where it is at the top, so they're just seeing curved walls. And that's the water being restrained by the circulating field. Mm -hmm. Now, you talk about uh, the vision of something, bang, three of them right together. You know, well, they're not in the same case. They're all three different cases, and each one is driving the same thing, a tunnel, a tunnel, a tunnel. There's no difference in there, except one says it was... Uh, like soft sides, and the other one said it was like running water, very fast running water, which it is because the field's uh, rotating and it's uh, uh, pressing against the field, so therefore it's pushing the water around as well. So, no, it's over and over again. It's it's, uh, the same kind of a scenario, you might say, in in all the various aspects that they they talk about. Bulging water, uh, you ever see bulging water? Uh, or a hole in the water? You can't make a hole in the water with anything except like a glass. You put a glass in the sink of water. Yes, you've got a hole in the water, but that that glass in the water would represent the field of the UFO. But that field is rotating. It's not a solid glass object or anything. It's rotating constantly, and it's moving water at the same time.
1: Let me ask you, uh, getting just back to experiencers, um, have they ever brought it back home with them? Have they ever... Seen a UFO come up out of the water and then become abductees, for instance? Uh, wait a minute. Back
3: up again. Uh, you're talking about the abductee coming back and experiencing? Uh, no, it? I'm just,
1: I'm talking about anyone who's just had a sighting on a ship. Do they then, I mean, do these aliens then end up taking an interest in them? Do they report back that they, uh, have subsequently become abductees or had strange things happen in their lives after the uh-huh. sighting?
3: Not in general, no. I, as a matter of fact, I can't think of a single case. But however, that book I'm referring to, too, and again, it's on my website, free. Uh, the Antilles incident. Uh, these aliens were kind of ticked off with these guys, and uh, they had a, you know, one of these long boats over the side. Uh, they had to do some repair on the rudder, and um, evidently, they picked up three or four of the guys and took them with them. Which is kind of unusual for an abduction. Uh, they were kind of annoyed with these people, and I guess they said, "We're going to show you." Uh, normally, uh, the abductee stories are always that they're returned, as far as we know, anyway. Uh, we don't have proof that everybody who's missing gets returned. So,
1: hmm. but and how many of these have, have you investigated yourself?
3: How many cases? Yeah. Well, the the Lock Raven I did, I I try to get any water reports I can. I had uh, a friend of the family, as a matter of fact, in New York, uh, shocked my brother-in-law and sister. uh, And so I went to interview uh, this friend of the family. Um, I was only a kid when when I knew her in New York, and uh, uh, she had asked about me. So anyway, they said... uh, (laughs) She asked him, uh, what is Carl doing? So my brother-in-law says, oh, he's doing that crazy UFO stuff. So she pipes up and says, oh, let me tell you about the one I saw. Now, she uh, went to college, taught uh, – was uh school in education and anthropology. And she wound up living on an island in the Pacific called Pitilu, which is off uh, the Admiralty Islands. And um, – uh, in any event, she, it was a very subsistent type living, you know, berries, tree leaves, and whatever you could eat. And uh, she says one night they were out there, full moonlight, and this thing came from one end of the island, and all the natives were screaming, you know, uh, look up, look up, you know. And so anyway, as it came towards her end of the island, they, she saw it. And she said it had three lights on it, red, green, and uh, white. Now, it wasn't an airplane, no engine sounds. It wasn't huge. Uh, it was like... I used to, the from I forget how I found out, but the measurements I, I got were about the size of my Ford Escort, and uh, so it's kind of you know relatively small, you might say. Uh, but it, it made it turn, and then it went into the water between Pityloo and another island. And she says it was a reef. She says I used to fish and uh, do you know a, a, a skin dive in there, and she says it's only about five feet deep between the islands, so. The natives had all as soon as they saw the UFO going into the water, they figured, you know, this is some kind of Australian airplane or whatever, and they went out for the rescue attempt. Well, the thing is, they got in the canoes, went to the reef, uh, to the uh, to the water, and and they were searching all over the place. Whatever went into the water kept going; it didn't stop. So, yes, uh, that that did that case. I did that up in New York City. I did it also one by telephone and email with a guy in Maine. Who saw one come out of the water, and hover above, and then shoot away real quick, huh. with his mother. Fifty years after the event, he told his mother made him swear that he would never talk about it to the townspeople because they'd ridicule the hell out of him, and instead, uh, he, he was trying like desperately to to file a report with somebody, uh, Stanton Freeman, uh, the, uh, sightings. Uh, uh, which, of course, was way out of uh, circulation by that time, and uh, on and on he went, you know, so he finally uh, Stanton Freeman gave him my name, and uh, I did telephone conversation and emails with him, but he was very sincere about what he saw, and he says he worked in the air force, and he said it was as big as a seven o seven so you know which was the tankers they had in those days hmm. and so, uh, he was very adamant about the size, what happened, and he was just a young kid himself when it came out of the water.
1: Well, uh, that is about all the time we have, but why don't you, uh, let us know, your your book is UFOs and Water. Are we going to hear, uh, or are we going to read more of these types of stories in it, or is it is it mostly, uh, well, what is it? What is it mostly?
3: <laughs> well, it, it, <laughs> that's my explanation about a lot of the things that, that they do with water, and, uh, uh, i have it broken down uh, well i can't give you chapter by chapter over the, the phone but uh uh it it it's it's an encompassing thing yes there are a lot of stories in it not 1165 though and most of the cases i have are cut down to the, the little uh, uh, two three lines uh to save space if i put the whole case in next thing you're going to have volumes not not a not a chapter and um, so, yes, there are a lot of cases. They have the date it occurred. They have the location all over the world. You know, it, it, these cases happen all over the world. And um, so it, it's a very interesting. It covers everything, just about everything that I can think of. So whoever comes after me has got to start.
1: <laughs> very good. And, and they can get that through your website, waterufo.net.
3: Right. Well, not not necessarily through my website. It I, wouldn't be through me. Uh, uh, if you scroll down on the home page, you'll see uh, UFOs in Water, and it says "Click here for book information and ordering." It explains everything about the book, and then uh, at the last page is "Buy Now," and uh, it has my publisher, which was Ex Libris, and then it's uh, Barnes and Noble and uh, Amazon.com. You can find it on Amazon.com easy too. You know so.
1: Okay, very good. Uh, well, Carl, thank you very much for. Uh Sharing your insights into watery craft. Well, I guess it's all the same craft, but just happens to be (laughs) skipping along water. (laughs)
3: Yes, (laughs) thanks, Carl, very much. Oh, you're quite welcome.
1: All right, thank you. Uh, Carl Feint, ladies and gentlemen, Carl Feint.
3: Hi, this is Ted Phillips, and you're listening to Paratopia. Beautiful.
1: So the Jeff. So the Jer. That was Carl Feint.
2: It certainly was.
1: Didn't he say that he invented the term USOs and then said he didn't like the term USOs? (laughs) Did I hear that right or do I got to go
2: back? Uh, I I don't know. I'm not sure. We'll we'll listen and see. But uh, yeah, that was uh, not my cup of tea. I mean, first of all, I, I'm sure that a lot of people were like, why aren't they saying something? Well, because you know what?
1: Saying something uh, about what?
2: About some of the things that were said, which were, come on, are you kidding me? You can't draw the line here and see that uh, there, there there seems to be an awful lot of conclusions reached with absolutely nothing there.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> but that's ufology.
2: <laughs> well, it was especially true here. Um <laughs> I mean, uh, like as in poster child for that. So a um, very nice man, um, obviously sincere in his interest about what he's doing, but I think that uh, part of my new, I don't know, thought process when it comes to this stuff is to stop being an antagonist as soon as I hear something that just doesn't ring for me um, or, or doesn't ring, period. Uh, that relies too much on supposition. I I tend to just, let's listen to hear what they have to say, let them present their
1: well, side I, of this. I think it's you like know? anything else with, with, you know, if you were to talk to a scientist with a belief system, yeah. um, you just parse out the belief system from the data.
2: Yeah, I mean, clearly, uh, I well, for me, the most interesting part of the interview, bar none, was the guy literally... Swimming under one and touching it and putting his hands on it and said it felt like uh, sand and rock, uh, which I thought was pretty weird, uh, pretty interesting. That is, unless he was swimming under a reef.
1: (laughs) A bioluminescent reef?
2: Wow, it felt like sand and, and rock. Hmm. I find that interesting. If if indeed he was laying hands on what he saw in the water or saw come out of the water or saw behave strangely, then yeah, that's a little weird. I, I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting that he could feel the sucking in and the blowing out of water out of this thing, which is interesting. The problem I have is whenever you mention something about – and this seems to be a common thread. Is anytime you mention something about how many of these do you think are likely some sort of uh, – Top secret marine project of some sort, or something like that. You, I think everybody seems to immediately want to gravitate to. Well, these things have been seen for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, um, and but then preface it by saying that it's an interpretation of what's been written in the past. I decidedly have, have read online about Christopher Columbus citing. Uh, a lot different than what he described it as being. Now, whether or not, if any of those are accurate, I don't know. But uh, that's certainly one that we see in major media brought up quite a bit. Uh, and the problem is, is again, it's interpretative. Uh, if you're going after... Uh, UFOs, then you're going to look throughout history to hear about flying shields and uh, all, all, all matter of descriptions that you try to draw lines or correlate with a UFO sighting. I don't necessarily always think that's the best course of action with that sort of thing. Unless it's really blatant. Unless it's like really uh, descriptive and uh, and non-poetic. <laughs> well, here's uh, the
1: thing about know. that. This was the gist of my 1800s airship question. Those airships that Mm. people claim to see, I mean, oftentimes, more times than not, I think, there was sort of a deck on them, right, with beings that would wave at people. Right. So would this come up out of the water? Right. (laughs) If that's what people were associating with the UFO phenomenon back then, would you see a ship that looked like a dirigible come up out of the water with people waving on it? Right. Um, Be nice to have the answer to that.
2: Yeah, well, be be curious, and I, I I thought about asking him this, but then I just I lost my train of thought. But uh, I'm curious if any of these U.S.O.s have ever surfaced, and beings have actually stood up on top of it. Um, have beings been seen around them uh, in the water? That would be a curious thing because I I heard a lot of mention of they and them and aliens, and to my knowledge, I I didn't hear him say anything about beings ever being seen around these things on top of them in the water, in the water, what have you. Well,
1: it seems that he's taking from a lot of book sources as well, and some of those books are abduction books. And in fact, that's where he's getting all of his, uh, you know, beings associated with underwater UFOs would be abduction reports. Right, yeah. And of course, I noticed on his website, you know, one of those books is Witnessed by Bud Hopkins, which is all but debunked well. Not even, but let's take that out of there. Yeah, I mean, so you know, you've got these questionable sources of of that sort of data. Um, I don't know. I I, I don't know what to do with that.
2: Well, I do. Um, throw it out. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, I hate to sound like such a goddamn curmudgeon when it comes to this stuff, but again, it's just for me. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it, bar none, it's a fascinating phenomenon, especially when you're talking about UFOs and water. I mean, a good, I remember at least back in the eighties, a good 70 to 75% of all sightings took place around bodies of water, uh, which is really interesting stuff. I mean, why? I remember at one point, uh, having a discussion with Bob Exler, uh, one night at his home and Bob Exler, in case n- n- people who've just signed up for the show, haven't, you know, been familiar with that I mean uh I met him doing a uh an an experience or support group uh with Lee who was just on the show not long ago and Bruce McAbee used to come to a lot of those, so uh I met Bob through all of those kind of channels and Bob was a a researcher you'd see online or rather on t v uh quite a bit back in the day, and uh he has since left the field. I think, in my opinion, relatively in shame. But he had said to me one day, he's like, well, you know, everybody wants to draw the line to spacemen and that sort of thing. Well, what is to say that um, when we crawled out of that water so many uh, millions of years ago that part of us didn't stay in the water and it would have millions of years of evolution upon us? So there's your your vast uh, technological uh, advancement, uh, there. And that was his thought about it. And I thought, you know, I thought about it. I was like, well, you know, Hey, what the hell do I know about marine biology? I I have no idea. Sounded interesting, but the more that you hear about the USO phenomena and all of that, the more you kind of think about, I don't know that, that for some reason, something to me rings of top secret military stuff. Uh, subs, air defense uh, that sort of thing um, do I think that we'd have the capabilities to uh, repel water away from an object yeah, I don't think that's so much of a stretch, uh, it probably is I probably don't know what I'm talking about scientifically of what it would take to do that but that that seems like that's something we could do uh, whether it be with air, whether it be with uh, uh, magnet whether it could have something to do with salt water or seawater Uh, I don't know. That's just what it smacks up to me. Clearly Carl was not uh, up too much on the trickster thing, but one of the reasons I brought up Lock Raven Reservoir was after talking to um, George Hansen, I began to look back at some of the few files that I've left from the old days of Lock Raven Dam sightings, um, of which there are many. That's a, a pretty hot area. And it's a beautiful place. It is uh pretty rural. It's uh surrounded by suburbia. Um I don't think you'd go, I don't know, so many miles in any direction from Lock Raven Dam and not run into a McDonald's or a a, a mall. So it's um it's centrally located. It's it's uh it's not horribly rural, although it does lead into some farmland. And all of that. And throughout the years in that area, I had gotten uh, a lot of UFO reports, uh, not only from Lock Raven, but also from adjacent areas like Glenarm, uh, Maryland, and, uh, and and a lot of those associated too with water. What I found interesting when George came to talk to us initially about all of the things that seemed to surround these paranormal events that we've talked about ad nauseum on this show... Uh, is that Loch Raven is very much that sort of marginal place, that anti-structural place, because, uh, as you might expect in any given area, this is a place where you dump a body. This is the place where you go to drink if you're underage. This is the place where you go to screw if you're underage. This is, uh, uh, you know, this is just that kind of place. I mean, it's, it's surrounded by suburbia, and it's away from prying eyes. And so... Um, there have been more than enough horrific traffic accidents in that whole area of Loch Raven Dam. Uh, many people have drowned. Many people have been found there after murder scene, you know, m- murders and, and what have you. So I look at all that. And I go, well, wow, you know, that kind of coincides with that. I haven't even been through there in quite a while now, but it seems to fit the pattern of that. And when I was listening to Carl talk about all of these different things – Um, That's why I was kind of asking about the surreal nature or uh, people who have gotten close. Have you ever heard anything that's been just so outrageous that you just have your hard time getting your head around it? And I would assume, based upon his answer, that when he hears those completely 100 percent forthright accounts that he kind of almost dismisses them.
1: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean he – yeah. I mean he basically said they were all – You know, I I could tell – Bullshit artist basically is what I mean. He didn't say these words, but
2: right, right, right. I can smell right.
1: bullshit a mile away, or I can. It sounds like he would put a stop to it as soon as somebody started saying something that he interpreted as witchcraft or right, silly, right, over the top. Um, any yeah, of that sort of. Thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, uh, you know,
1: but this notion, uh, this is something I brought up last week, but I, I want to really hit the, hit the nail on the head here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this notion that UFOs. And these beings represent aliens, is not because um, that's where our science goes. It's because I think, I mean, I think you can make the draw the direct correlation that in the late eighteen hundreds um, there was the debate about whether or not there were canals on Mars. Yeah, our science fiction started, you know, going that way, and our thinking started started thinking about space. Um, and then I think it was what nineteen thirty eight that War of the Worlds radio dress happens, that people mistake fiction uh, for fact of an alien invasion. Uh, And then 1940, what, 7, Kenneth Arnold, the media, takes the flight dynamics of the UFOs that he sees, uh, saucers skipping over water, and turns them into flying saucers. Mm -hmm. So you've got this... Well, I mean, misidentification of canals on Mars, right, was the
2: first Yeah, well, yeah. And then
1: you've got, so you've got fiction number one, coupled with science fiction, coupled with mistaking a science fiction radio play for fact, Mm -hmm. coupled with condensing a description of flight characteristics into a noun, flying saucer. Right. I mean, these are all mistakes, and through these mistakes of melding fact with fiction, We've come to aliens.
2: <laughs> the theology of ufology. <laughs> right? I mean, that's simple <laughs> enough. Right, right. And it's
1: only after that happens now that you get a Betty and Barney Hill or you get, you know, these abductors who are aliens.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Prior to that, it would have been, what, demons or or fairies or, or what have you. Right. But isn't it interesting also, I mean, even channeling, channeling, which was always the spirit world, suddenly became about aliens as well. Right. So you're seeing this switch over to – of a belief system, not not based on our scientific rationalism or, or any of that really.
2: Well, or even the data as it's actually the factual data presented in UFO cases. It's not even based upon that. I mean really when you think about it. Uh, it's a far departure from that, isn't it? I mean, you know. Yeah, you
1: know, it's funny. I just saw the movie Paranormal Activity 2. Oh, no.
2: I'm sorry to hear that.
1: I didn't see Paranormal Activity 1, so I I can't (laughs) really it against that. But, um, you know, one of the things that that it reminded me of, because they pressed the point a few times, is that demons, they create fear in you and they – want your attention and so I mean they make this point several times. So if you just ignore them, they'll leave you alone. They'll it's the pain it's it's pretty much what we say about this so-called alien phenomenon. The more you pay attention to it, it needs you to perceive it to exist here. It pulls itself in to this yeah. reality. Now, I'm not saying I'm not making the correlation between, you know, aliens and demons, uh on the on the level that I'm saying aliens are demons, but the correlation uh of sort of that mechanism is there And I think it's it's more honest to say that there's a relationship (laughs) that those things are getting at the same thing than to keep them separated as, you know, one is complete bunk and the other is true. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're both in a way, both bunk and both true at the same time. The face has changed, but the mechanics is uh, the same.
2: Right. The masks are, are changing. Yeah. Um, it's wearing different guises. But uh, I mean, that's something that I think we've been saying from the very get go on this show is that uh, somehow, at least in my experiences, and I know to a, a pretty large degree your own, that uh, these things seem to have some sort of desire to be acknowledged as real. And then once you acknowledge that as real... Then it doesn't become about stories or campfire stories anymore. It becomes about this is what it is. This is, what, this is how I view it. Uh, and so that point it becomes a part of your reality. It's no longer uh, a campfire story. Uh, and at that point it seems – you know. and we've talked about this before. At that point activity seems to ramp up. It seems to feed off the belief – or not the belief, but your acceptance of it, or the your attention. openness of it, the attention of it, yes, the focus to it, you know, and, and yeah, I think that's a that's a big part of it. Question is, if 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 <laughs> and this is the this is the bigger question for me, this is what I ask myself all the time: if this is capable of doing that through that sort of mechanism, if that's even what we want to call it, and we can do this. I mean, clearly, we're a it's a it's a two way street. So, what else can we do? <laughs> Uh, if this is able to to happen, uh, if, are there other avenues in which this is happening too, i.e. ghost activity, which I ask myself all the time, is Gettysburg truly haunted because so many souls left this earth there or is it haunted because people go to see ghosts? Well, that's a you chicken know. and egg question, isn't it? Uh, well, <laughs> what came first? <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I wonder the same thing about golf Breeze. And, and we've, we've – again, we've said before that uh, uh, when I talked to Bland Pugh down there, I said when did uh, UFO activity really not become the thing anymore? When did it stop? And he said when we stopped going to Shoreline Park, it stopped. Uh, and so ultimately um, when it, they stopped paying attention, it stopped paying attention or it stopped manifesting for them. I hate to say I don't know where to go with that, but I don't know where to go with that. Um, that's just as it sits for me. That's kind of always been my mantra with this thing is that if, that the more that you give, the more you're going to get. I don't, how do we get into this from USOs? Jesus Christ. Can we ramble <laughs> or what? Um, well, because it's it's
1: that it seems he Well, it's based
2: the belief system thing. Yeah. Well,
1: it's again, it's the old Bud Hopkins creating outlier data of mm-hmm. the things that we don't like, the things that – seem to make less sense of this in terms of aliens from outer space. That's the thing that is unacceptable. Yeah. Well, that's actually what the phenomenon is
2: And in terms of
1: like, even just the telepathy thing. I didn't really understand that because um, I've heard telepathy in English from these beings. So
2: yeah, Yeah, you and me both. And so have a lot of other people. Um, But even
1: just, I told you yesterday, I think it was right. That mm -hmm. two days ago, I had a lot of odd activity going on in uh, my apartment, which was something sort of just flying around the apartment. And I would sort of catch it out of the corner of my eye and I'd look Mm -hmm. over and it, it, you know, it's like in the bathroom or it's in the hallway or whatever. And then eventually, uh, you know, I'm sitting here watching TV. um, And I see it or seemingly it, maybe something else. I don't know. But basically it looked like a um, small ball or sphere of, uh, well, I guess what we sort of decided was that the, maybe the best description is uh, like a tinted glass
2: mm-hmm.
1: sort of look to it in that it looked like a solid object like mercury or something like that. But it was sort of see-through. It was sort of –
2: Chromic. Yeah, chromic, like a, chromic yeah. but yeah. Uh,
1: and, and so I see this thing before my very eyes um, shoot into – like a little slit opens up in reality, like a, a tear in the fabric of reality and it – it goes into that and disappears. I mean, that was the visual. I don't know that that's actually what happened, but that's kind of what that looked like. Now, what does that have to do with aliens?
2: I don't know. I See, whenever I hear that, I revert back to what Lee and I used to talk about in the old days was how many things are a byproduct of them entering or exiting the reality that, that we are in. You know, when I talk to Lee about, but even uh, that,
1: but even that type of thing, what you're talking uh, about, isn't, yeah. isn't as mechanical as a ship coming up out of water and shooting off
2: into space. Uh, well, um...
1: to go back to its planet,
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, let me put it to you this way: because
1: they found water and they were excited to have water, let, let, jumping with glee, and going
2: "Yippee! Water!" Wee!
1: We can't just Where's, invent water. It's what, what is water? H2O, right? We, Isn't that we, pretty easy to invent when you're a high-powered alien?
2: We came <laughs> for your water slide. Um, <laughs>
1: Why aren't they at Disney?
2: Well, here's, here's, here's the thing, and I thought about this today. When we had David Roundtree on the show and I was talking to him about – at the condominium, I used to see strange things around the bathroom. I, used to, I see things strange things around the bathroom here in the house. Uh, what looked like people or movement or um, shimmers or uh, anything. I mean, even Lisa saw some things that looked like uh, like a thin linen veil material. And and he said, well, yeah, there's a lot of sightings around those things, of, especially in the kitchen as well, but not only the bathroom but the kitchen, any place where you've got running water. And so I thought to myself today, if this interview – had gone a different way, I would have said, do you think that it's possible that if these things are not extraterrestrial craft and are not military um, uh, projects of some sort, but are manifestations of some sort, are they using the energy of water or are they using it, or whatever this whatever this uh, presence is? Is it using water as some kind of medium uh, in an effort to manifest itself? What do you think of that?
1: uh like a water spirit like a sprite
2: call it what you want
1: <laughs> well, uh, how about call it wh- what would be the mechanics of that how would that how would that happen <sighs> and don't say splash <laughs> these are not mermaids <laughs> uh,
2: i don't know I, I mean i don't i don't know i mean um if it's uh i mean clearly you've got fresh water and salt water involved in this but nonetheless it's still water uh if water is uh i mean obviously you know when you're talking about moving water you're talking about there's definitely is that kinetic energy am i right in saying that
1: you are asking a failure of science my friend
2: well me too but uh you know you're you're talking essentially energy of water moving And so, you know, when you're talking about water moving and you're talking about salt water, does salt water not conduct electricity? Am I wrong?
1: You are talking to a failure of science, my friend.
2: (laughs) This is where we need listeners. (laughs) Hi, guys.
1: Hey, everybody. Uh, You pay for this now, or you get dumber the more you pay.
2: (laughs) Right. No, I'm just I'm just saying, I'm throwing out the hypothesis here. What if whatever this is is using water as some sort of medium? What if what is coming out of the water is water? And so, you know, if it gets up and it flies away, what's to say it's really flying away and not just completely dissipating back into water? <laughs> I don't think, see anything stretchy or elastic about that theory any more than it's aliens from another planet. Oh, I do. <laughs> 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 okay, fine.
1: I think you're alone on that boat.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I'll put it this way. I mean, if if, if, uh, if you're looking at spirits uh, or ghosts or manifestations of something like that happening around a bathroom and a kitchen, then what say about, oh, a lot more water than that? <laughs> I mean, come on. what what's, What is so far-reaching about that?
1: Well, here, I'll help you out in a weird sort of Jeremy Vaney way. Okay. So what you're talking about in terms of the kitchen and the bathroom is converting water to energy in some way. That's what we do every day. We're mm-hmm. mostly made of water. Mm-hmm. So human existence is uh, is is founded on converting water to energy. Okay. So what's to say that there's not, uh, yeah, some other way to do that other than through digestive tract?
2: You're welcome. I, I- <laughs> Well, I don't I don't I don't get what you're getting at with that. I mean,
1: I mean, I'm saying I was saying find some sort of science that water can be converted to energy. And then it's like, oh, that's right. Organisms do that all the time. That's how we live. We're water based organisms.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about more like how does a a tub of salt water turn into a flying saucer? Um,
1: Well, not in terms of the kitchen (laughs) or the bathroom. (laughs)
2: Well, I mean, if you (laughs) – let me ask you this. Did your uh, chromic orb come out of a glass of water and fly into your toilet? Because you've got USOs in the house if you do. (laughs) Uh, Not that I'm aware of. Okay, I I mean, I'm just just chucking that out there. I I don't know how that would work. I don't know what that would mean. But, uh, I mean, clearly – you know, if you're going to talk about energy and water, there's a lot of energy in the ocean, clearly. And uh, if you've got some phenomena out there that is uh, in tandem with us working, uh, some kind of two-way street of manifestation, then of course, if it's if you consider that a lot of UFO reports are near water, forget being in the water, forget USOs, forget that. Say just being near water, then you know I could see it as you know maybe they're using this as some kind of medium uh, to manifest something here. By the same token, there's a lot of UFO reports around high tension wires. Um, how much of that can you put off to high EMF ratings, uh, that are affecting perception of the brain, uh, or people with acute sensitivity to that? I don't know. But is that being, again, is that electrical energy coming from a high tension wire or whatever power grid you want? Is that something, a nuclear power plant, um, Are all these things but just basically mediums to manifest something?
1: I want to know why somebody like Bigelow or any bazillionaire who's interested in this subject doesn't do a study to sort of find where in the water most of this stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. Because there have to be water hotspots, I imagine. And then just put a Mm -hmm. satellite over it and take some pictures and just wait.
2: Well – Mr. Bigelow, we'd like to have you on the show as soon as possible, but I think um, the answer to that is we don't know that he hasn't because he doesn't really share very much. Is there hot spots in the water? I mean, certainly Gulf Breeze back in the day, there was a lot going on involving the water uh, there. Shag Harbor is kind of a, as far as I know... Is a uh, is a one off. It's not really my chosen case of interest, but Gothbury certainly is. I so take, I don't know. I mean, am going to
1: take exception to one thing he said. Also, uh, just in terms of UFO just one. Reports. Well, just in terms of even on his own terms. Um, just in terms of even on his own terms. That's right. That was a sentence. Um, he he said that as far as photographs go, people aren't really prepared to see it. You know, on the decks of boats and things like that. Yeah. Um, but what about people underwater? Aren't aren't Divers usually equipped with cameras that are rolling at all times?
2: Mm, I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, but certainly if people were out on a boat ride, you would think they would have a camera. A lot of people would have cameras on a boat. Certainly on a cruise ship, a lot of people would have cameras. Yeah, That's why I was asking, like, what, is, what did he think was the best visual evidence of this sort of thing? I mean, definite interaction with a UFO and the water. And, um, yeah, and for me, I, I mean, that's always going to be the uh, – the, the the Gulf Breeze stuff, I mean, when you're looking at that one, which is the water spout UFO from uh, 94, that whole series of pictures, which later then the same craft was seen uh, um, interacting with uh, a U.S. fighter jet. So that to me, just because I held them in my hands and actually looked at them, those were clearly to me uh, – and I, I preface this by saying I did not examine them firsthand or anything like that other than to hold them in my hands and look at them for quite a while. They certainly look like genuine photos to me. I could not readily say, how would you fake that? And there was there was interesting points about that, that as far as I know, there was still um, points about that particular, the water spout sighting, that I don't think have been talked about. Publicly, yet I don't know, and uh, I'll write Bruce about that, and we'll bring it up on the next episode if if uh, if it's okay to talk about, because I want to make sure I got my my story straight with that. But I mean, clearly for me, that's that's one of the best ones showing something actually down on the water with either a a tube going into the water or B some sort of um, slifening going on that is uh, tubeless, that is uh, you know just like a. Some sort of, uh, I don't know, like a funnel, upside down funnel cloud uh, looking thing going on underneath it. And you can clearly see the disturbance of mist near the water line or foam. Uh, so clearly, this thing is interacting in the water. Other than that, I have not really seen any particularly great interaction with water UFO visual data that I can think of right off the top of my head.
1: Me neither. Which seems weird. I don't know anything. I'm not even a ufologist.
2: Well, I mean, it seems weird to me that there wouldn't be more.
1: For some reason, I still don't think he got what I was saying about this, but doesn't it seem like this would be the best set of data to present to the media as, look, something real is happening here? You've got an object coming up out of the water and flying away. And like he said, we don't have anything that can do that. Mm -hmm. So isn't that less controversial than a light in the sky or a dog chase with what Phil Klass could say is Venus.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I got what you're saying in that it's, it's it's the methodology of the entire sighting. Uh, you know, it's, it's the uh, coming up out of the water and flying away as opposed to just seeing an object in the sky, which could be anything from a star to an airplane to whatever. Yeah. You would think uh, that would be the case, but I don't know. USOs seem to be, Like the Forgotten Bastard stepchild of UFO sightings. I mean you don't – you you hear Shag Harbor and you think okay and you hear about – maybe every once in a while you'll hear about Grand Bethune sighting or maybe the odd-off UFO hunters about USOs. Um, But you don't really hear much about that as far as – I don't know, not with the consistency of things being seen in the air. Uh, so I don't, I don't really know. I mean, obviously there, that uh, Carl's spent a lot of time gathering these things, but I don't know. It, it seems like to me there's a lot more visual evidence, there's a lot more compelling radar data, that sort of thing, than there would be with the U.S.O. thing. I, I, I would think it would be harder to collect data. I mean, I know sonar would work, but sonar. Mm, would that always reflect correctly as – would that be as accurate as radar data? I don't know. So that's a good question. I mean you would think it might be a little bit more compelling, but is there visual data to back it up? Certainly the, the naval cruisers would, would would be the best place to start with something like that if you're really going to put, put a case together um, for – like you were saying, a Larry King show or something like that. Certainly that would be the best place to start.
1: Well, on another note, Jeff uh... – I am uh, coming to your place this weekend, and we're going to go to Gettysburg. Yeah. Um, now you had said you want me to bring a camera, and you want to film something, um, and maybe uh, release it to the subscribers. Correct. As just our little thank you gift. Uh, what exactly do you want to do? We haven't even really talked about it.
2: I don't know. Maybe we'll just go to friendlies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm I'm down with that. I'm totally Ice cream. Down with that.
2: Um. Well, I think we're going to stop in and see Mark Nesbitt and see if uh, we could talk to him for a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to be there, so I can't promise that. But aside from that, we're going to go up. I think we're going to go up fairly early, maybe around noon, 1 o'clock. And we're going to visit the places that we're going to go at night. So we're going to film, say, Devil's Den. We're going to film Triangle Field. We're going to film at Spangler Spring. And probably uh, maybe around Culp's somewhere. But then when we go back at night, you'll kind of – I don't know. Have a little bit of a a lay of where we are and uh, maybe we'll try and do a couple EVPs with uh, our good friend Snake Oil's Ghost Whacker 5000 apparatus that uses only a large coil wrapped around a – like a reel-to-reel tape reel. Hmm. You know what Uh, else
1: we should do is give a tour of your house.
2: Oh, that'd be great. Lisa will love that.
1: This is where the guy in the hood sat me down on my floor.
2: Sure, we could do that. Here's your sure.
1: fart chair. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if we could get this together for this weekend, but I'm sure at some point we could because um, you're, you seem to be a car mechanical kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can we get, like, I don't know, three, four car batteries, put them in a circle? Uh, at, at, like, a paranormal hotspot, maybe have me meditate or something and just turn the camera on and see if, you know, we manifest well, something.
2: These well, things drain uh,
1: energy from batteries, right? So maybe we'll right. form a little vortex.
2: Well, um, <laughs> it's about the most harebrained shit I ever heard. But, yeah, we could do it. <laughs> um, no, it actually. it work,
1: right? Hypothetically.
2: Well, well hypothetically, uh, who the hell knows? Uh, we don't know. Do, do, uh, do, 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 do. Well, yeah. I mean, we could try that. Uh, but. David Roundtree mentioned to us, you know, did I have a plasma ball? And I do. I've got a very large one. I'd be real curious to see if we could rig up some kind of battery unit to that and perhaps uh, fix that to an outlet that I can plug this thing into and we can run it in the field and, and just see what happens. I'd be curious just to see what happens with that. Um, what did he say might happen? Well, he said essentially it uh, discharges a lot of energy into the air. Um, and he told me to take it down at, at the house and just run it and see what we get. So maybe maybe Friday night when you come down, um, if we can stay up till uh, dead time, <laughs> 3 a.m., we'll set that pup out on the uh, coffee table and just let it run and see what happens, see if we notice anything, and we'll run cameras. That'd be interesting, and, and I would definitely want to focus on the hallway uh, near your room.
1: Yeah, I definitely am down with whatever uh, we do to heighten the manifestations near my room right before I go to bed. I think that would be a great idea. Thanks.
2: You're welcome. But if we could take it out in the field and run it off some kind of portable power, I think that would be terrific to try that and just see what happens. And if not, maybe I'll take a run by the electronics store tomorrow and see if they don't have something that is like that that runs off batteries because I know they have much smaller ones that do. There are also plasma disks that we can get that I have a couple that do run off of, uh, off of batteries.
1: But wait a second. Getting back to me and my genius for a second. How uh. is that not genius if these things drain batteries to have car, a circle of car batteries to form like a help me, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope type hologram? A ghostogram.
2: I think if you go from the standpoint that a lot of paranormal investigators have their batteries drained when they go to like you know, digital cameras and, and film cameras drained, kind of – underst- I can understand where you're coming from a little bit. My thing is I want to discharge that shit into the air. Uh, I actually don't want just some sort of field coming off of a battery, which I would think would be somewhat low level. I'd rather see something uh, like a Van de Graaff.
1: <laughs> oh, I was thinking that that's what would happen.
2: No, a car battery? You think a car well, battery that, is going to act there's...
1: like a Van de Graaff? Well, no, that no, not I don't know what I I don't know what a Van de Graaff is, but
2: <laughs> Van de Graaff is the big uh, static electricity generator that has a a large ball on the top. You've seen them before; oh, they look like a yeah. large phallic uh, uh, apparatus, and you plug them in, and um, no, and you I, get. I'm, I'm
1: down. I don't care about that. I'm down for an actual manifestation of a ghost of some sort that has drained the energies to. You know, to the extent right. where it then appears right there.
2: Right. Well, I mean, when you're talking about uh, using a Van de or something like that, that's exactly the premise behind is uh, is you're throwing large amounts of energy, electricity into the air, which is, you know, apparently, I mean, according to theory, is what these things would suck up to try and manifest themselves, Um yeah, we could try that. I mean, I can try and find someone who's got a Van de Graaff. We'll take it with us. I mean, if if it can power it off of a car battery, you know, the old 89 Thunderbird will get a workout. Um, I don't mind trying that if we can swing it. Where would I get all those car batteries? Yeah, I don't know. I can check with Dad and see what he's got. But if we bring them all back drained, he's going to be pissed.
1: But will he? <laughs> would it have been worth it?
2: Uh, not for him.
1: Oh. <laughs> Never mind.
2: <laughs> uh, no, I mean it's a good idea. It's it's. I mean, look, we can try anything. I, I see. I see doing something like that at Spangler's. To be honest with you, as remote as that is, and as few people as seem to walk around there.
1: But if we stay up till three in the morning on Friday, are we really going to uh, make it to that field? Or do you want to go there at night anyway?
2: Well, yeah, we want to go there at night. We're gonna. So we, we're gonna... so
1: either way, there's going to be time for friendlies, is what you're telling me.
2: <laughs> yes jeremy we'll get your ice cream perfect yeah i mean we get we can uh see what we can get together that might throw some electricity into the air and uh and see what happens i don't know about car batteries but uh i certainly would like to try the plasma ball and see what happens if i can figure out how to run that then yeah that's that's a good possibility um but i'd like to run cameras uh To be honest with you, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I would. You've said every time that you've come to stay here at my place that when you sleep in your room that you hear things, and so I really wouldn't mind uh, running a cam overnight in your room just to see what it is.
1: Um, So I can't sleep in the nude, or can I?
2: You do that in my house, you bastard!
1: No, (laughs) I barely sleep in your house, let alone in the nude. (laughs) I'm gonna be ready to run out of there any moment. Are you kidding?
2: Is it really that bad,
1: Jeff? Yeah, come on, <laughs> I just you sound like the scariest person on the planet. <laughs> Jesus like, Christ. everywhere you move, you're haunted.
2: <laughs> what are you talking? Sorry, it's not my fault, <laughs> it's your fault. You make me do this.
1: Um, and then I get some dude saying, I can be strength, and it's like, okay,
2: great, that's right, that did happen here, didn't it? Mm. <laughs> wow, yeah, I mean. If you want to, if you want to do a little mini investigation here at the house, that's fine. But I think if we stay up till three, we're probably not getting up till ten or eleven the next day. That means we get to Gettysburg probably around one thirty-two, which is plenty early enough. We got plenty of daylight at that point. We will have to check and see when the park actually when they throw us out. We'll have to check on that time because I know come fall and winter it does change. But I think we'd be okay. I would highly expect it to be, uh, shall we say, a, a little active. Uh, on Saturday being the night before Halloween.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true.
2: And you'll be staying in your room here on Halloween. <laughs>
1: Would you quit saying that? Stop in reminding your room. me. Stop in your reminding room. me that I'm making the same mistake every white person in a horror movie makes, which is, oh, I'll stay.
2: <laughs> and you'll shut the door. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll stay a floor away from every other human being and the dog with my door
2: shut. Yeah, no problem. Right. Right. Well, the dog's got a whooping cough, so uh, you'll know if it's her. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, we could definitely try some stuff here at the house. I mean, it's Halloween, for God's sakes. It's allegedly the time of year when the veil is most thin, right? So, Can, I, sl- should-
1: can I sleep with you and Lisa? No. Okay.
2: Cody and his girlfriend will be going with us. My son and his girlfriend will be going with us to Gettysburg and uh, – Unfortunately, I would let you sleep on the couch, but she'll be on the couch. Cody will be in his room, we'll be in our room and
1: uh Oh perfect. Nothing will happen to me if there's another person down there.
2: Right. So you won't be alone down there, she'll be there. Except that of course Cody will be uh unable to respond to your cries for help because I'm having him handcuffed to his bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yes. Um so anyway, yeah, we can we can do that. And I think it'll be uh I think it'll be interesting, uh just to see what we get.
1: You know who else would handcuff Cody to his bed is uh, David Jacobs. (laughs) Oh, sorry.
2: Yeah, that's just not right.
1: That's just inappropriate.
2: It is inappropriate. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) Completely untrue what I just said. A fabrication.
2: (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) Jesus. Shall we say goodnight then?
1: Goodnight, Paratopia. Until next week. Where our guest will be
2: Kim Carlsberg. Kim Carlsberg.
1: And then the week after that, our guest will be, wouldn't you like to know? No. Mm-hmm. Ah, 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 ah.
2: That's the one that you're going to turn white and shake for. <laughs> That's right.
1: You and me both, America. Earth. All right. Well, Jeff, it's been uh, fantastic, as always. Thank you again, Carl Feint.
2: Yes, thank you, Carl.
1: Um, you survived the hot seat, Uh I don't even know what that means.
2: Well, I, I, let me just say this before we go. Uh, you know, uh, Carl is a very accommodating guy, very nice guy and a uh, pleasure to talk to, you know, one of the bad points about ufology is everybody is, uh, uh, and myself included being one of the most guilty parties of this, the past so many years, you know, jumping in each other's shit just because we don't see things the same way. But ultimately there's got to be something to be gained just from talking to all parties and, you know kind of evaluating their belief systems based on whatever they're basing them on um so carl you know you're you're a great guy we appreciate you coming and uh and you're welcome back anytime you know we just uh we just have very different views on what's going on and i think that's okay
1: yes and of course that uh has no bearings on his book most likely which is about ufo's and water yeah anyway good night paratopia good night